Well, good morning. Just as a reminder, I know there's a lot of empty, more empty seats than normal, but uh, we have about 30 to 35 of our gals up in Prescott this weekend for the women's retreat. So uh, we're missing them and have a feeling some of the husbands went AWOL when the wives weren't around because <laughs> they're not here either. We'll have to get on now. Um, hey, real quick, too, to follow up on what Scott said. So that March 27th uh, uh, date, don't forget uh, that it's free, but you need to sign up for that because the gals the ladies' ministry are providing a light dinner that night for all that are coming to ask me questions. And if you have questions, don't forget to start writing those down and putting those in the box back there uh, in the lobby. I would love to answer as many questions of yours, whether, again, I said whether it's personal. I'll try to be as absolutely transparent as possible. Uh, second, if it's something about the church you want to know, if it's a Bible question, a theological question, I'll be trying to answer all those on Friday, March 27th. And then as I've been saying, don't forget, Sunday, April the 5th is our 10th anniversary. And you're gonna wanna be here for that. It's gonna be a great celebration Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, celebrating what God has done over the last 10 years. And then that night, and we normally don't have a Sunday evening service, but that night, we are having a night of worship. And I hope that you will make plans to be here to just thank God and show our gratitude as a people of God for all that God has done over the last 10 years to bring us to this point. Um, so anyway, don't forget about that. Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, April the 5th, and then that evening, 7 o'clock, right back here as well in the auditorium. And that Sunday evening service is a family service, bring the kids, bring everybody, bring your neighbors, bring your coworkers, bring your enemies, bring everybody, all right? We're just gonna celebrate God. Luke chapter nine this morning, we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke. And we're, as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, we are paying particular attention this year to how what we're learning from the Gospel of Luke applies to being a servant of the Lord. How, how, what is God teaching us about being a servant and the kind of servants he's looking for and all of that? And so we're going to camp there again this morning as we look at this passage. And we're going to pull some things out of this chapter that directly apply to following the Lord and to serving him. And I want to start because the entire message is going to somehow flow back to this. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I love partnering with Nicole because Nicole's always in touch with the Holy Spirit and just what she led us through as a church is exactly where God wants to continue to lead us through his word. Because there's, there's two extremes that I want to begin with today and I want you to see how the entire message is always going to be zeroing in on speaking to us about those extremes when it comes to serving the Lord. One is this. One is you have Christians. So I'm, I'm speaking now to Christians. You know the Lord, and you know we are to be serving the Lord. There's that group of Christians that spend their Christian life never really stepping up and stepping in to all that God has for them as far as 
his design for their service because of their personal feelings of inadequacy or what they lack, okay? And we're gonna talk about that this morning. Because in a sense, all of us should be there. Okay? But that should never stop us from serving the Lord. Okay? The other extreme is you have Christians who spend their lives serving the Lord, but doing so only with within themselves. In other words, in a sense, it's what they know they're comfortable with, their comfort zone, what they can do, what is within their own wit and wisdom, their own power and strength, their own toolbox. In other words, they serve the Lord, but it's, it's pretty much within what they could do. And that's not where we should be either. Because let me say this about that group then that means that we literally could plug anybody into that position or place in the body of Christ. And as long as they've got the training for it, they could pull that off. Let me go a step further. That means that we could plug an unsaved person into that position and they could go through the motions of serving the Lord in that capacity because it's not requiring any kind of demonstration of the Spirit of God or any kind of supernatural power or resource. It's simply something that we as human beings could do on our own without God. And dare I say that there are many ministries and churches that operate just along those lines. They just sort of plug and play people into certain positions. They're never challenged to go into the supernatural realm. It's something that with enough training and all of that, anybody could do. In fact, we might even be able to train a chimp to do it type of thing, you know? I know, if you know my heart, you know at the Oasis, we never want our ministry or our ministries to be at that level. For instance, you want to hear somebody speak? You want to hear, you know, an eloquent speaker? Let's go to a college campus or something and listen to somebody who was trained in speech communication and, and rhetoric and, and public, you know, address and all that kind of stuff. And you can hear somebody like that, but I, I don't ever want it to be that because I don't want, like Paul, to impress anybody from, from that perspective. I want what I do up here on Sundays and Wednesdays not to be a demonstration of what Jeff Royce can do, but a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's what I love about our worship ministry here as well. Same thing. You can go to a lot of churches even nowadays and you can be impressed by the human skill and abilities that, that these people have. And man, they put their musicianship and their vocalizations on display and, and people can be wowed and wooed by it all. And, and I'm not saying we don't have people here who, who don't have musical ability and can't sing and all of that, but primarily they don't come at worship from that perspective. They want to be up here being used of the Spirit of God and they want their ministry to be a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, not some human being's abilities and skills. Amen. Well, in order to do that, 
That means that this group over here has got to get to a place where they're willing to go get uncomfortable a little bit and go beyond what they're comfortable with and what they could do within themselves. And they've got to be open to God taking them beyond that place. And then this group over here, even though they feel inadequate and they feel like they look at themselves as far as lacking goes, that they are willing to step up knowing that and trusting and believing that the God who's called them into this particular service is going to give them everything that they need to do it. You know, a great example of a person in this group and there were many of them in the Bible, is Moses, right? God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I got an assignment for you. I want you to serve me in this capacity. I want you to lead my people out of bondage in Egypt. And what was Moses? Oh, Lord, you got the wrong guy. I, I can't do that. I'm inadequate for that. I'm lacking. And that's why many Christians never really serve the Lord to the design that God had for them because they're in the same place except unlike Moses, they never get to the place where they actually, in a sense, give in and surrender and say yes. They just stay on the sidelines. And I'll say this. I'll use myself as a personal example because if you know me well enough, you know that throughout my entire life, I have struggled with feelings of inadequacy and lacking. In fact, if you know the history of even our church, you know that God had to overcome my feelings of inadequacy to plant a church and to start a church because I was like, I will be the last person to ever start a church. In fact, I told God years ago, I'll do a lot of things for you, God, but I will never start a church. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure years ago, God was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was because I'm like, I'm not good enough for that. I, I don't have what it takes. I'm inadequate. God, you see me. You know, Jeff Royce, you know how much I lack to be able to pull something like that off. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I hope it will be an encouragement to you all. Because I have a feeling that if I feel that way, a lot of you feel or have felt that way in the past as well. And what I want to do today is help get you up over the hump to begin to see your service for the Lord so much bigger than what it is now. Because God always has greater things in mind for us than what we usually do for ourselves. Amen. In fact, I will say this, and I'm sure you could say the exact same thing that I'm saying here this morning. I have done way more in my life than I ever thought I would do. And I have done way more in my life than other people thought I would do. <laughs> and I'm sure you could say the same thing. And that's where God wants to take all of us, you see. Uh, let's look at this for a minute from this perspective first. Let's talk about the disciples' lack, if you will, first of all, in this chapter. And before we even dive in here, let me say one more thing. This is important because I think it adds impact to what we're going to talk about today. When you get into Luke chapter 9, you are halfway through Jesus' three-year ministry on earth with his followers. That means they've already been with him for a year and a half, 
And he's been their personal discipler and leader. So these 12 men, along with many others now, have been following the Lord for a little bit of time. Okay, This isn't like right off the bat. They're a year and a half into his three-year investment in them when you come to Luke chapter 9. And yet, even at that stage of following the Lord, notice a couple things. Go over to verse 40 of Luke 9. We see here a lack of power. The disciples came across this man who had a a demon-possessed son, and he says to Jesus, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but notice these words, they could not do so. Lack of power. Oh, by the way, go back then to verse 13, and we're going to come back to this verse later on. It's the feeding of the thousands of people. Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. And they replied, we don't have anything more than five loaves and two fish, a lack of resources. So there's a lack of resources, according to them. There's a lack of power in their life. There's also a lack of unity. In verse 46, notice these disciples, even after being with the Lord for a year and a half, start arguing amongst themselves about which one's the greatest. You the greatest? No, I'm the greatest. I'm the, you know. And then finally, I want you to see there's a lack of compassion on these disciples' parts as well. Because later on in the chapter, almost to the end, in verse 53, these Samaritan villagers refused to welcome Jesus as he was determined to go to Jerusalem. So some of his disciples, especially James and John, as they called the sons of thunder, come say, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? Let's fry them, God. <laughs> lack of compassion, lack of unity, lack of power, lack of resources. These disciples were lacking. And my friends, they had been following the Lord closely for a year and a half, and yet look at all that they lacked. But that's not where the story ends. In fact, if you study and read Luke chapter 9, one of the things that jumps out at you is that there's this recurring instance where we're turned back around to really keeping our eyes on Jesus and reminding ourselves of his identity and who he is. You see this beginning in verse 9 where Herod begins to hear these things about Jesus. And, and he says, who is this about whom I hear such things? Even King Herod is interested in knowing and learning a little bit more about Jesus. Then later on in the chapter, Jesus turns to his own followers, and he says to them in verse 18, who do the crowds, who do the other people say that I am? And then he comes down, and then he says to them, the 12, who do you say that I am? And can I say there is no more important question that God asks of every human being than that question right there. And there's no more important answer that you and I as human beings will ever give to any question we're asked than that question right there. Who do we think Jesus is? Who is he? And, of course, Peter says, well, you're the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. Why is there this focus on the identity of Jesus? Because we must have a firm conviction of the identity of the one we're serving always. 
We got to remember who it is we're serving and who he is and what he's done and what he can do. That's why later on in the chapter, beginning in verse 28, Jesus was transfigured before his followers, especially Peter, James, and John, the leaders of the others. He showed them a glimpse of his glory because he needs his disciples and his followers and his servants to understand who he really is, why? So that we'll be willing in this group to go beyond what we're comfortable with and what we could do within ourselves knowing that God has something much greater and bigger for us in our lives as we serve him and over here to not let our own personal inadequacies and looking at ourselves as lacking so much to keep us from, from following what the Lord has for us because that's exactly where he wants us so that he can work through us and go way beyond what we could ever do ourselves. Amen. So with all that said, I want to just take a few minutes in our time together this morning to just look at some things here that I think are really important in how they apply to these things we're talking about and especially in serving the Lord. So go back to the beginning in Luke chapter 9 and let's look at verse 1 for just a moment and on down through the first six verses. Jesus, first of all, called the 12 together. That's important. The word together doesn't mean it was just a holy huddle, although you could sort of look at it that way, like let's huddle up, guys, and gather around. But it was more that Jesus here is saying to these 12 men, come to my side. He's calling them to himself before he ever sends them out to serve. That's really important. See, where does God want us to go from every time we serve him? From his side. He wants us to go from himself. He wants us first to come from him and being with him and being in his presence and fellowshipping with him and spending time with him. Guess what? We see the same principle being emphasized next week in Luke 10 whenever Jesus commends Mary for what? Sitting at his feet and sort of rebukes Martha for being upset at her sister Mary for sitting at his feet. It's not that Mary wasn't serving and that Martha was. It was that both of them were serving, but Mary understood the principle. In order to effectively serve my Jesus, I got to first be devoted to him and sit at his feet and serve from him first. Amen. That's where I've got to start. I got to first be by his side. So for many Christians, we need to be reminded of this. So often we end up doing a lot of service for the Lord, but we're sort of letting the Lord behind in serving him. And we forget that you and I can't really serve, nor will we ever be willing to go outside of our comfort zone or surrender to the Lord because of our inadequacies or what we lack within ourselves if we don't spend enough time with him. Because it's only when we come from his side can we truly accomplish and have the confidence that only he can give and the strength and the wisdom and the grace and all of these things, it comes from him and spending time with him. And so notice, first of all, very importantly, Jesus, first of all, called the 12 to himself. 
Then secondly, notice, then he furnished them, supplied them, gave them all the power and authority they would need for the mission that he had for them. It says then in verse 1, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases because that's what Jesus wanted from them at this point. Once we leave his side, we can be confident that he will supply and furnish us, his servants, with all the resources that we need to accomplish what his mission is for us. He gives it. He supplies it. He furnishes it. And it is supernatural power. We sung about miracles today. Well, guess what? You and I carry that supernatural power with us as the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we go in his authority. It is both our right as his children, and it is our responsibility as his children to carry his power and authority with us everywhere we go to everything that we do. Remember in the Great Commission, the end of Matthew, he says, all authority has been given to me and now I give it to you. Go. Go. Go in my power. Go in my authority. How comforting to know as servants of the Lord that once we've been by his side and we've spent time at his feet and we fellowshiped and communed with our Lord, that we hear his marching orders, so to speak, and that whatever he has for us, we understand he will furnish it. He will supply it. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. He has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. We either believe that or we don't, and we sang, I believe. I believe in you. I believe you're the God of miracles. And, and if you don't believe he's the God of miracles, do you not understand that as a Christian you're a walking miracle? If you're here today and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and he translated you and I out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves, that's a miracle. It is a miracle that the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our life and that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and that he wiped out all of our sin because he placed that upon Jesus Christ and then gave us in its place the righteousness of Jesus. That's a miracle. Amen. And then he sent his own spirit into our life, crying out, Abba, Father. That's a miracle. Don't ever forget, you are a walking miracle of God. And then, notice he sends them on a defined mission. Verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He didn't just say, just go and do whatever. He gave them a specific mission. Here's what I want you to do. And as servants, that's why we need to be with him so that we clearly hear, God, what do you have for me? What, how do you want me to serve you? And can I say, it's always going to be something that's going to take us beyond what we could do on our own. Because God wants to, us to live our lives even as Christians, always depending, always relying on the Lord. 
Never getting to a place where it's like, God, I don't need you anymore. I got this. Even in the comfortable, even in the things we've done for years, even in the things we might say, well, I've done that a bazillion times. I don't need to pray and ask for God's help or guidance or whatever. No, we should never get to that point of self-sufficiency. There's something wrong in our service if we don't have to ask God for help each and every time we serve him. That means we're not thinking big enough. We're not doing enough. Amen. And then, verse 3, he commands them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Don't even take an extra tunic. Why is he asking them to do that? Because two things. He wants them to travel light, and he wants them to learn to trust him to provide for them through others. God hasn't changed in 2,000 years. He wants us to do the same thing. In other words, first of all, he wants his servants to travel light. Don't accumulate for yourselves treasures on the earth. Don't, don't, don't get caught up in stuff. My servants should travel light through this earthly life. Don't be accumulating earthly temporal treasure. That doesn't mean a thing. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Amen. Travel light. Get rid of all the stuff that starts to cling to us and, and sort of becomes weights. And then he says, if you're going to effectively serve me, you got to trust me enough as your shepherd, as your Lord, as your Savior to provide for you, but to maybe use other people to do it. That's why he says, don't take all this stuff that's going to weigh you down on your journey. I'll touch the hearts of other people and they'll make sure that you have, and I'll make sure that they take care of you along your journey in the different towns and cities and whatever that you visit. Can I tell you that's one of the reasons, that very principle of why, for the most part here at the Oasis Church, we don't talk about money? Because my philosophy is if we exalt God and we make our worship and the ministry of the word about him, that we will then create an environment where God's people will be in touch and in connection with God. And if God wants his people to give, God will lay it on their hearts to do so. And God won't need anybody to, to do it for him or to beg for money or manipulate or make people, you know, feel a certain way. God will work upon his people and they will give. And let me take it a step further since I'm on this subject real quick because I think it's a testimony to you all here. In most churches, and this has been a long-standing thing, 20, maybe 25% of the people who attend end up giving 100% of the monies to keep the church afloat and to keep the ministry going. Do you know what the percentage is here at the Oasis? And by the way, for those of you especially that are new, I don't know what anybody gives, nor should I ever know what anybody gives, nor do I want to know what anybody gives. A pastor should not know what people gives or who gives or who doesn't give. That should not be on me. 
But what I do know as the pastor, obviously to help manage and steward the finances here, I know what the giving percentage is of the people who come. And do you know at our church, we're like 75 or 80% of the people who attend here give to this ministry? Amen. That is like crazy compared to most other churches. That shows the maturity level here. That shows that there are people who are listening to God and have their hearts open to God, you see. That's what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to see. I'll take care of you and I'll lay it upon the hearts of others to make sure that they do so. So don't worry about it. Don't take all these things. I'll take care of you. Look to me to take care of you while you're serving me. And then I love this. Verse 4. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the area. And wherever they do not receive you as you leave that town, just shake it off and keep on going. That's an important principle in serving the Lord too because so often when we are rejected as we serve the Lord or try to live for him, we take it so personally. And sometimes many Christians just sort of shut down and shut off and get discouraged and end up being in despair and never serve the Lord simply because they weren't responded to in a certain way. They weren't received. They were rejected. And Jesus is going to say to his people throughout history, you're going to be rejected. In fact, sometimes you're going to be rejected and not received even by fellow Christians. They're not going to buy into your service. Shake it off and keep on going. Amen. Keep on doing what I want you to do regardless of the reception. We need to be reminded of that today because that is so freeing. I've told you before, that's one of the things that just totally turned my pastoral ministry on its head when I realized I'm not responsible for your response. I'm simply responsible before God to share what God has laid on my heart. That response is between you and God. And one of the great biblical examples that I use of that is Noah. God commended Noah, said, Noah, you were faithful to me. Noah couldn't get anybody to go on the ark except his own family. To you and I, we would say he was a failure. He, he was a preacher, and he couldn't get anybody besides his immediate family to get on the ark, and yet God said, no, you are faithful. Because God doesn't hold us responsible for the response of others. God is saying to us, his servants, if you are rejected, if you are not received, if, if they don't respond to you, shake it off and keep on doing what I've called you to do. And then I also love this. Go up to verse 10. After the apostles returned from their intense ministry, they told Jesus everything they had done. They gave him a report. And then I love this. He took them with him. They withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida because Jesus wanted to make sure after this time of ministry that they took time and made time to be refreshed. In fact, Mark 6.31 says another time, Jesus said to them, come away with me and rest a while. That's a principle as servants of the Lord we need to make sure that we are following as well. It's, it is spiritual. It is God-honoring when the servants of the Lord allow themselves to be refreshed and rest after being in ministry for a while. You and I can't continue to just keep on 
you know, plowing away, keeping our heads down, just keep on plugging away and not begin to be negatively affected spiritually, emotionally, or physically without taking time to rest a while every once in a while and to relax and be refreshed. In fact, God actually built it in by giving us a Sabbath day that even though as Christians we don't celebrate the Sabbath as far as Saturday goes, we should make sure that we are taking at least one day in seven off. Because I'll tell you what, you can argue with me about the necessity of that. You violate that too long and you're going to begin to pay a price for it. Because God did not build us to keep on going and not make time to be refreshed, to relax and rest and not begin to suffer for it. And some of you have bought into the philosophy that it's unspiritual to do that. No, no, it's spiritual to do it. Jesus, Jesus left his own followers an example. Come away, let's rest a while. Now with all that said, we're right now in the midst of coming into this passage where Jesus feeds these thousands of people. It says in verse 11, the crowds found out, they followed him, they welcomed him, he spoke about the kingdom of God, he was curing those who needed healing. And the day began to draw to a close, verse 12, and the 12 came and said to Jesus, we got to send this huge crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and food because we're in an isolated place. And Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. Are you crazy, Jesus? There's thousands. It's overwhelming. Why are you putting that on us? What you're asking of us is way beyond what we could ever do. Exactly. Do you get that? Exactly. That's exactly where Jesus wants all of us to be as his servants. To be willing to take on something way beyond what we could ever see ourselves accomplishing or doing within ourselves. Because Jesus wants us to learn something. That he can supernaturally work through us. And that he can do way more through us than we could ever imagine if we're willing to go beyond ourselves. And finally say, okay, God, I'll get out of my comfort zone. I'll stop serving you in just what I know I can do. And I'll I'll be willing to, to go beyond that, even though, boy, as soon as I start going down that road, boy, do I feel inadequate. Do I feel like I am lacking? Jesus goes, good, because now I've got you right where I want you. Because the disciples replied, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. In other words, as they looked at what they had, they're like, we don't have enough. And Jesus is right. You're right. You don't. But just give me what you have. Have the faith. 
Have the trust, have the belief in me that I began to build in you when I sent you out and sent you out with very little and told you to look to me and trust me to provide for you with others. Now take that same faith, that same trust, that same belief. I didn't leave you starving as you ministered. I took care of you through uh, touching other people's hearts. Now you trust me to feed these thousands of people with just what you got. Give it to me. Because Jesus is never going to ask us for what we don't have. Jesus is going to ask us simply to have the faith and trust and belief in him to give him what we do have and then let him multiply it. And that's what Jesus is asking for here today. He's not asking for anything outside of yourself. He's simply saying, just give me what you got and let me supernaturally work way beyond what you could ever think or imagine. And that's exactly what happened. You know the story. It's very familiar. It's in every one of the Gospels. All those thousands of people were fed In fact, notice verse 16. He took the five loaves, Jesus, and the two fish, looking up to heaven, gave thanks, broke them, gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And I love this. Don't miss this key verse. All the thousands of people ate and were satisfied. When Jesus feeds us, we will be satisfied. Amen. Are you letting Jesus feed you? Remember, he said, I'm the bread of life. You take me in and you'll never be hungry. You just keep feeding off of me and letting me nourish you every day and you won't, I will satisfy the deepest hunger of your heart, your spirit, your soul. I'll fill you up because Jesus always satisfies. But then I love this. And what was left over was picked up. Oh, guess what? 12 big baskets of broken pieces left over. Who are those 12 baskets for? The 12 disciples. See, Jesus was trying to teach them, you focus on letting me use you to minister to the needs of others and I'll make sure your needs are met. You're not going to go without. You trust me to work supernaturally through you to touch other people's lives and I'll make sure you have everything you need. Because listen, those 12 baskets were bigger than just one lunch. That was probably going to feed those disciples, each of them, for several days. And it was just sort of a a visual reminder of Jesus saying to his 12, at least, I got you. I got you. And that's part of why we don't serve the Lord to the degree, to the level that we all could. Because just like the disciples We spend so much time looking out for us because we don't really trust the Lord to look out for us. And therefore, all that time we spend looking out for us, we're not able to look out for others and let God use us to touch other people's lives because we're taking care of ourselves after he's already told us as our Savior, I'll take care of you. Trust me. So here today, 
Maybe you fall into one of these two groups. Maybe you've come here today and your service for the Lord, either right now in this season or maybe throughout your Christian life, has always been, you know what? I'm serving the Lord, but I'm, I'm doing it within what I know I can do. But I've never really stepped out by faith and say, Lord, take me further. Give me the faith to be able to trust you to go out further. To see bigger things that you want me to be a part of. Things that I know are way over my head. They're overwhelming, like starting a church. And I know I can't do that. I know I will need to rely and depend upon you every moment of every day because if I do that, it's going to be way bigger than me and I'm going to need others for you to touch their hearts to help me because this isn't something even that I can do on my own. But okay, God, I'll say yes. And then you have this group over here who, like me, says, Lord, I see what you have for me, but I got nothing. I am so inadequate. I look at my own life and see all that I am lacking, and there's no way, God, I could ever do what you're laying upon my heart to be a part of. Start a church in Gilbert, Arizona, from the ground up with nothing? God, you got the wrong guy. Let me leave you with these verses. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I hope these verses will do for you what they did to me one day about 10 years ago. God took me to this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to just begin in verse 4. Paul says, Now we have such confidence in God through Christ, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves, but our adequacy, our competency, our enough is from God, who made us adequate to be servants of a new covenant. Not based on the letter, but on the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I especially want you to zero into that phrase in verse 6. God makes his servants adequate. God isn't asking us to be adequate in and of ourselves. He understands that what he has for us and what he's designed for us and what he wants us to be a part of, we will absolutely feel overwhelmed and inadequate for but in spite of that, he wants us to understand, just like the disciples with the five loaves and two fish, just give me what you've got, I'll make you adequate. Amen. I'll make you enough. I'll make you sufficient because I'm the all-sufficient Lord of glory. And I want you, my children, my servants, my followers, to begin to see the true magnitude of what I can do through you. Folks, that's exactly what God is saying to us as a church. He's got so much more for us as a church 
to accomplish here in this area before he comes or before we leave this earth, so much of a greater impact and influence than you and I maybe could ever imagine. But he's got to have a group of followers who are willing to say, yes! Or as Nicole said, yes and amen. Amen And maybe individually, Right now, God is saying, here's what I want from you. I want you to begin to consider this. I want you to begin to be open to this. And you're saying, whoa, Lord, I've never served to that capacity. I've never dreamed about that. God's going, good. Now trust me to do it through you. Trust me to give you everything you'll need and the people around you and everything. Just trust me because I'll make you adequate. Because that's what God does with those who truly want to follow him and serve him. We never have to worry about being adequate in and of ourselves. All we have to do is be willing to trust him to make us adequate. Let's stand and pray. God, I pray today that each of us here today and as a church, as a community of believers, would be open, God, to whatever you have for us, no matter how daunting, how big, how overwhelming it may be. God, so many times as churches and as Christians, we we stop dreaming. We stop becoming the Josephs that you want us to be because, God, you've become too small in our eyes and, and we become too big. And we begin to look at what we can't accomplish rather than what you, the God, of all flesh can accomplish because nothing is too hard or too difficult for you, God. You took a young boy's lunch and fed thousands of people more than enough and there were leftovers. God, if you can do that, then you can take our lives and what we have to offer you, maybe as little as it is, and you can do miracles with it, God. May we have the faith to give you our lives and to give you our church, God, and let you do with us and with this church what you want and not what we think we can accomplish. Take our lives, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.